It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Okay, here we go. I knew we were going to get in here somehow. Desmond Tutu once said, Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so let's get started. And, and Jonathan, actually, we might add at the very beginning here that for today, our, our phone number is going to be different. That's we right. We had a little bit of 800 number issue going on. That's right. So our number for today is local number 860-442-9956. So that's the call-in number for Christian questions for today only until further notice. So anyway, back to uh, the normal procedure. Good to have you back in studio. It's good to be back. And what is the question for this morning? Well, our question is, Rick, is the power of the gospel fading? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right. Let's be real here. Hasn't it been long enough? I mean, it's 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth with the promise of change, with the, the promise of righteousness and the promise of his kingdom. So, where is he? Where's the change? Where's the good that he promised? All we can see now is a world that slowly walks away from Christianity and that walks towards self. Self-satisfaction, self-gratification, self-worship. Has the power of the message of Jesus quietly faded into the sunset? Is the gospel lost and gone forever? And Jonathan, this is a probing question, and he, we are firm believers in the gospel of Christ, and it's oh, not yeah. a question that you necessarily like asking. Now, is the power of the gospel fading, Rick? In what sense? Is it um, less people of strong conviction, or that it won't accomplish its purpose? Yes. <laughs> I think I think those are the two of the things that we need to look at this morning with, with great honesty and say, okay, what is happening with the world related to the gospel and with the gospel related to the world. And does the gospel have as powerful influence on the numbers of people and on its mission amongst people? That's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So, folks, it would be an interesting uh, question for us to be asking, and, and let's put it to a little bit of a survey. Uh, we're going to go to a soundbite right off the bat here from CBS News. This was from this past year, 2015. And this was a survey, uh, and the, uh, the, 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 the segment, if you will, is uh, America losing, there is America losing their religions from CBS News. A new study on the changing U.S. religious landscape shows 
We are losing our religion. The number of Americans who don't affiliate with a particular religion has grown to approximately 56 million in recent years. Christianity is still the dominant faith by far in the U.S. Seven in ten Americans identify with the tradition, but it is down almost 8 percent. By contrast, atheists and agnostics have nearly doubled, making the unaffiliated have the most growth, a 6.7% increase. The survey of 35,000 people was conducted in English and Spanish from June 4th through September 30th of last year. So one of the things that jumps out at me is you, you look at Christianity. They do this survey every seven years. Okay. So it was at the end of, I think, 2014 that the survey was done. Results came in in 2015. Christianity is down 8%. Unaffiliated is up almost 8%. So it's like you, you've lost that chunk from one place and it went directly to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you eat a cupcake. The fat, you know, goes directly to your gut, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just it just finds its way to a certain spot. And it seems to be that the spot of growth is those who are not affiliated. So you've got to ask yourself, you know, what does that mean in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ? So to begin with, let's establish the context of the verse. You read the, the Matthew 28, 19 uh, mm-hmm. theme verse. Yes. Because that verse was nearly the last thing that Jesus said to his followers before he was taken up to heaven. So this is important. It, it has to be. We need to listen. Right. It was when, when you have somebody like Jesus leaving the scene, his final words you really better pay attention to. So what were his final words? Let's get a little bit of the context. You know that's my favorite word. It is. Uh, of, of those final words. Let's compare two different translations because really understanding what he said is of the utmost importance. So let's start with the King James Version uh, and remember that we want to get the real meaning of what Jesus said. Matthew uh, 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. All right. So, the the really the main focus there is in verse nineteen. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, and so forth. And uh, there's a little bit of a difference uh, in if we look at look at the New American Standard Bible. And I checked many many translations, and the most of the more accurate translations fit in with this one that we're going to be reading, so it's not picking this arbitrarily. It really does represent a, a large number of translations that really do focus on trying to be as accurate as possible. So same verses from uh, the New American Standard uh, Version. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so there's a few things in there that are very, very different. First of all, in verse 19, it says, Go, go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And the King James says, and teach all nations. Okay, so okay. it says, teach all nations or make disciples of all the nations. Which is more accurate. Right? Yes. So, okay. so, all right, why are we nitpicking? Yeah, kind of we are. <laughs> because we want to understand these, like you said, these really important words of Jesus right at the end of his uh, ministry before he was brought up to glory in heaven. So, 
make disciples. What does it mean to the, the word the, the, the two words make disciples? Transitively to disciple, enroll as scholar. Okay, so this is a uh, a, a, a word, a verb that can be used uh, intransitively or transitively. I'll bet you did. Now, do you know what that means? Well, transitively means <laughs> like or makes. Uh, I looked, tried looking it up in a, in a dictionary. <laughs> well, I had to look it up myself. That's, that's why I'm asking you. It's like you know, because trans, like like I know what that means. And transitively, it's an adverb. Right, it, it, and it has a a specific focus. You know, one has a specific focus, the other does not. That's that's the difference between the two. Okay. Um, so, but it means to disciple, to enroll uh, as a scholar. So it's not just to gather in hordes, but to disciple is to enroll as somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, a disciple of Jesus is one who is seriously following Jesus, not just tagging along for the free food. And there's a difference. So make disciples. Enroll those who are going to be serious. So Christ- Christianity is not a tradition. It's a single focus yeah. when you follow Jesus. That's what it started out to be. Now, what it has ended up to be, I think, might be a very, very different story. So you've got this, this, this focus on becoming a real learner. Not just a tag-along, but a real learner. It says, make disciples of all the nations. What does it mean by all the nations? Well, Rick, it means a race, a tribe. And it's interesting because the word for nations in the New Testament is most often translated... Gentile. As Gentiles. So, really, what when you see the word Gentiles in the New Testament... They're talking about, oh, the everybody else outside of Judaism. Gotcha. Okay, that's really w- what, what, what that means. So Jesus is saying to them to make disciples, to find those who are going to be real true learners out of all of these other places, all of the nations. And, uh, and, and so, so there's some things that are, that are being focused on and some things that are not. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Folks, if you have a, uh, a thought... Uh, for this morning, our number is a little bit different because we're having some 800 number challenges. Our number here for this morning is 860-442-9956, 860-442-9956. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, let, let's go a little bit further and let's back up a little bit. Go, let's go to the Luke account just before the ascension, just before this scene where Jesus is with his, his, his followers and he rises up before them. Luke records some other words of Jesus that fit into this whole scenario. This is Luke twenty four forty six to 47. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, so that you, he's saying it is written that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. Now, what does it mean to proclaim? It means to herald. All right, to herald. You're, you're, you're announcing. Shout it out. Right, you're announcing. So you're getting a picture of what's happening here or what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. He's telling them how to act. And he's actually telling them where to go. Um, 
in, in this whole scenario just before he, he goes up into heaven. So there's four things that are instructed by Jesus. Let, let's touch on them one at a time. All right, Rick. The first is preach and proclaim repentance and remission of sins everywhere. And that is what was just written in the Luke account. So you've got to proclaim repentance and the remission of sins everywhere. And remember, the baptism that John the Baptist had was a baptism for repentance. Yes, it was. But it wasn't. It couldn't take away sin. No. So this is different. This is a step beyond what John the Baptist was doing. And Jesus said, this is what you have to be talking about. This is your part of your mission. That's the first thing. A preach and proclaim. What's and the, the next? The second is, make disciples out of all nations, but start at home here in Jerusalem. Right. So he says, go to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. So they were specifically told to go to Jerusalem and that's where it would all start. And we of course we know that the Holy Spirit ten days later would, would, would come. At Pentecost, yes. They're in Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. Jesus knew they had to be there to receive the, the, the God's power and influence so they could do their work. And Rick, the third instruction by Jesus is to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize the disciples' source of life, of redemption, and of enlightenment. All right, so this baptism in the name of the Father, it symbolizes the disciples' source of life. This baptism in the name of the Son, it symbolizes the the disciples' source of redemption. Baptizing in the name of the Holy Spirit, the power and influence of God, symbolizes the disciples' enlightenment. So there's this three-pronged attack that they are supposed to put in place to make work in terms of having the gospel be able to spread. And what's the fourth thing? Teach Jesus' words to these new followers. So he's specific. Tell them what I said. That's what he says to them. Tell them what I said. So the the obvious mission here is to preach the gospel to the world. The not-so-obvious mission is that this preaching, while bringing disciples, will not convert the world. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Is the Power of the Gospel Fading? Coming up, why would we say the worldwide conversion is not the plan? How is this a good thing? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Is the Power of the Gospel Fading? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 860-442-9956. Again, that's 860 860- Four four two nine nine five six, and because of that different number today, it's a great way to practice um, contacting us on your app. So send us your message so we can read it on air. And don't forget to check out CQ Rewind, the full edition, at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so folks, just remember a different number for this morning. Uh, Jonathan, just just re- reread the, the theme scripture one more time before we go to the next point here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, one of the points we were trying to make in the first segment, and I don't know if we made it well enough, is that we don't believe that Jesus is actually telling us to convert the whole world. That's right. He's not. Well, 
And why would that be a good thing? Because it kind of sounds like he's saying, go make all the nations into disciples. That's not exactly what he said. He said, go make disciples of all nations. In other words, out of all nations, find real, true, uh, serious followers. That's, right. that's what he was, was talking about. So, and, and I think Jesus verifies this thought about not wanting to convert the world, which can be a very disturbing thought to a lot of Christians. Like, it can be. What are you talking yeah. about, not convert the world? Well, I think he clearly explains this uh, in the parable of the sower. I think he it clearly explains that conversion is selective and not universal. Conversion to Christianity. True conversion is selective, not universal. Now, we won't have time to read the entire parable. Go to uh, Seek Your Rewind, the full edition. If you haven't signed up, please do so at ChristianQuestions.com. It's a free service. Uh, and it will give you the full text in the uh, bonus material. But let's sum up what happens in the parable. And that we're taking it from Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 20. Well, the first point, Rick, is beside the road, the birds eat it. And it never takes root. Okay, so the, the the parable is a story of a sower who's going to go sow seeds. Yep, and there's four types of ground. And there's four types of ground. Mm-hmm. So the first type of ground is some of the seed falls along the road, and you said what happens the to it? The birds eat it, and it... Take, it never takes root. Never even takes root. So is that is that a success or a failure? A failure. Okay. The, the seed, because the seed is the gospel. The seed is the word. That's right. what Jesus tells us right. later. So it's saying, with those people who are along the road, it's a failure. It's an utter failure. It doesn't even take root. So what's the next kind of ground? It's rocky ground. No deep soil. It springs up and withers in the hot sun. Takes root and dies. Now, that's depressing. <laughs> you know, you've got this valuable seed, and some of, the, some of the seed in the parable falls on this rocky ground, and it springs up quickly, but it, uh, it withers in the hot sun, and it dies. So is that success or failure? It's failure. Because it dies. Yep. Okay, so what's the third kind of ground? Thorny ground, and it's choked. There's no crop, and does not necessarily die. But it doesn't necessarily produce anything either. Right. So that's really a failure also, Rick. Right. Because the seed's purpose is to create a crop. Yes. And if the plant cannot give you the yield of the crop, then that consi- that's considered a failure. Yes. So, so how many types of ground did you say there were in the parable? There are four. So we've gone through three. And three of them have failed. We're 0 for 3. Yeah. This is not even a good batting average. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so the fourth kind of ground is what? Is the good ground. And in, there's an increase of 30, 60, and 100 fold. It thrives, Rick. So there you finally find some success. Yes. So, so the gospel looks like it's supposed to meet with massive failure. And you think about that and say, wait, wait, wait. You know, you know danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> this, is, this doesn't fit. <laughs> How could this possibly be? Well, let's go a little further because Jesus verifies this as he explains this very parable in Mark chapter 4. Let's go down to verses 11 and 12. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside give everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So Jesus is saying that I'm specifically speaking in a way that the people won't get it. Correct. So now, 
he's actually quoting a scripture by saying that. That's right. Isaiah 6, 8 through 10, he's quoting. And we're going to talk about that scripture in the next segment. So we're going to get back to that because there's some interesting developments in that in that original um, scripture in Isaiah. But see, Jesus is saying that he does not want to convert the masses. Why does he say that? Why would he say that? Well, let's go to verse 13, Mark 4, verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. So now he's going to start explaining the parable to them. And so he's telling his disciples the answer uh, as to the puzzle that he, d- d- that, that, he, that he put before all of the people. Mm-hmm. But the people don't have the answer to the puzzle. No, they don't. So they can't solve it. Exactly. Is that fair? I mean, is that fair? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 860, new number for this morning only, 860-442-9956, toll, oh, no, it's not toll free, sorry. Local. Eight, local number for this week only, 860-442-9956. Let's go to uh, at another uh, look at the status of religion in America. This was on PBS. It was in May of uh, 2015. It was also based on that survey they do every seven years looking at religion in America. Let me me ask Alan Cooperman about what the survey does touch on, the the unaffiliated, this rise, because it too is fairly widespread, right? We have a graphic of age demographics. Tell tell us about that. Well, it's especially concentrated among younger generations. So while it's true that it's taking place among older adults as well as among younger adults, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really startling. Uh, Among the youngest millennials, 36% are unaffiliated, whereas in the country as a whole, it's down 23%. Among older generations, it's much smaller percentages. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what's happening, Jeff, is what we call generational replacement. Uh, it's a nice way of saying that the older generations, which were very heavily Christian, uh, are passing away, and they're being replaced by younger cohorts that are far more unaffiliated, not only than the older generations, are today, mm-hmm. but then those older generations ever were. That's showing you a walking away from organized religion. Now, you know, in some ways, and this might sound crazy coming from me, <laughs> but in some ways that might not be a bad thing. True. But what's happening, though, is the direction they're going is not a good thing. Correct. The direction they're Godless. going is the God of me, the yeah. God of my, the God of ego, mm-hmm. and that's not a good direction. So the young, youngest millennial generation is really seriously unaffiliated. They just have no sense of any organized religion whatsoever. And you know, it's interesting because if people weren't living as long as they are, the the numbers would be skewed even more. Oh, good point. You know, so, good point. So you say, okay, well, what does all that mean? Is the power of the gospel fading? That's really what we're focusing on. And, and folks, what we've said up, up to this point is, you know, Jesus doesn't look like he wants the gospel to be successful in terms of of of, of converting the world. Right. And why would he not want it to be? Hang on. We'll see if we can get there. Okay. Let's go back to the parable. Jesus explains why the gospel does not take hold with most. Now, remember, there were four different kinds of ground. So let's go to the first ground beside the road. Remember, the birds, he ate it. Yep. That's the lack of understanding beside the road ground. Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown 
beside the road. So now here's the interesting thing. Now, if, if now was the time, the only time for salvation, then why does a simple lack of understanding of the word, because that's what Jesus says, yes. they, they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Why does a simple lack of understanding of the word give Satan the ability to take it away? Is simple ignorance a just cause to not give someone salvation? Jonathan, they can't see you nodding. No. <laughs> so, but, but Jesus is saying this is what happens. Simple ignorance, he's saying, is, is, is a cause for Satan to take, take the word away. And what well, you're saying is not a just cause. Even no, it's more. not. It's not fair. So, so the very opportunity is gone because Satan takes it. And you look at it and say, wait, wait, there's something, there is something unjust about that. That seems, that, that seems below God. Exactly. Hold that thought. Okay? Hold that thought. We're going to come back to that thought later. So that's the lack of understanding the beside the road ground. The rocky ground is what we call the emotional acceptance but no heart acceptance. Okay? And there's a difference between just raw emotion and, and something settling into your heart as a conviction. And this we're, we're looking at in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 13, the Matthew version, chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. The rocky ground. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporarily. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they run away. So, what you have in this next description are those who jump all over the word, and I'm sure they love it. You've it's seen an it. emotional, exciting. It's a high, yes, and it's and it's exhilaration, and it's that release of yes, I've 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 come to Jesus, and and life is now good. Except persecution arises, affliction, or something goes wrong, or your expectation is not met somehow, right. And so you, you walk away. You run away, yeah. So, so you've got that emotional acceptance, but it doesn't take root, deep root in your heart. That's the rocky ground. And that happens to lots and lots of people. Uh, the heart, uh, let's go to the thorny ground now. Heart acceptance, but no discipline to follow through. So the thorny ground, Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, Jesus explains what it is. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So, now, notice it doesn't say it dies. No, it's just unfruitful. Right. Okay, so... It's alive, it's growing, but nothing's happening. Right. But So, it's not accomplishing that which it would have been planted for. Right. The fruits of the Spirit are not being developed. Right. It's, so it's there, but, but there's no spirituality that actually comes from that. So, so the, this is a hard acceptance. So, okay, yes. And, and, and folks, look, this may be stepping on toes, but when you think about it, how many of us as Christians are like that? We call ourselves Christian, but do we live our lives as our proclamation of being a Christian? Do we pursue the things that Christianity would require of us rather than looking at Christianity as a way to get things for us? And Rick, often Christians are taught that if you're a good person, then you're a Christian. Yes. 
But there are good people in this world that aren't Christians. Well, you know, you're right. And, and that's another important point, though, because when you look at the, at the, at the percentage of those who claim to be Christian, um, many, many, many of them, we have had in the last 10, 15 years a huge rise in the prosperity gospel. Yes. Now, those are under the umbrella of being Christian. But what's taught, and again, folks, I don't mean to step on toes, but we're going to be honest, but what's taught in that environment is all about being a good person. Exactly. It's not about being Christ-like. Or spiritual. It's right. really being righteous, earthly. Right, right. So that that waters down even further the idea. And that, that sort of... Uh, Adds to the to the query of okay, is the power of the gospel fading? Well, it sure looks like it. It sure looks like it's not going well. It looks like it's going the wrong direction. And then finally, Jesus explains the fourth kind of ground, the good ground, which is intellectual, emotional, and heart acceptance. Uh, Matthew thirteen verse twenty. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. So, again, when we look at this particular parable, Jesus himself speaks the parable. The disciples ask him, why do you speak in parables? And the answer he gives, and we're going to touch on this in the next segment, the answer he gives is quoting from Isaiah saying, because I don't want the people to understand what I'm saying. It's for you to understand. Right. And he says, and here's how you understand it. I'm going to give you the keys to understanding not only this parable, but keys to understanding all of the parables, because I do a lot of parable teaching. And so Jesus is cutting away the opportunity for the masses to really get what he's saying. And if we think that the gospel, according to what Jesus said before his ascension, make disciples of all nations, all, all nations if we think that the gospel's purpose is to bring people all people in the world to the gospel now, because now is the time of salvation, then this does not seem to fit. No. It just seems to be completely contrary to what we would have wanted those words of Jesus to mean. So how do you make the two work together? Because if you believe in Scripture, you believe that the Word is the inspired Word of God. Therefore, it has to fit together somehow or other. If you have a thought, give us a call at this number today, 860-442-9956. All right. So Jesus is, is making it selective, not universal. The, 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 the call is selective. Now, so he tells us that many are not ripe for following. Um, then you can say, okay, let's go to a different scripture then. Romans five eighteen and 19, because this scripture seems to contradict what we just spent the entire segment saying. <laughs> so then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So, if everybody gets the condemnation, it seems like it's saying that everybody gets the justification. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Doesn't that sound different than what we just said? It does. Okay. Let's read verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So that sounds like all get stuck in sin and all will be made righteous. That it, sounds it does. completely contrary to everything we just said. So how do you take scriptures like this and say, do they work together? Should they work together? Is this our imagination? What are we supposed to do? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, is the power of the gospel fading? Coming up, 
If the power of the gospel is not worldwide conversion, then what is it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, is the power of the gospel fading? Yes. No. <laughs> the jury's still <laughs> <Which> out. <is? laughs> the jury's still out. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling this special number today, 860-442-9956. That's 860-442-9956. Uh, we are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, so that you can get all that bonus material that helps understand each topic that we go over. And, and Jonathan, today, a subject like this, really, that's an important tool to have because we're, we're going through things that look like they absolutely positively contradict each other. They don't. They don't. There's an answer to all of this. There really, truly is, and it's a logical, scriptural wonderful answer a good news answer but we haven't gotten to it yet so stay with us as we develop this this idea of the gospel is the power of the gospel really fading now or not and we've been going over the parable of the sower last segment Let, let's t- touch on matthew's version of the parable just in terms of jesus explanation to the disciples because the, matthew's version of the parable expands jesus teaching to build kind of an us versus them scenario which further uh, accentuates the idea of not wanting everybody to be converted in matthew uh, 13 verses 10 through 14 and the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables jesus answered them to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been granted see us versus them for whoever has to has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even when he, what he has shall be taken away from him. So not only us versus them, but it's like the us gets all of the advantages. And the them, whatever advantages they had, oh well, sorry. You they know, lost. Yeah, you, you lose. <laughs> does that sound like Jesus? I mean, you think about that. It says, something doesn't... Hang on. We'll, we'll get there. Go ahead. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says... So, in Matthew, he's directly telling you, now I'm quoting from Isaiah. So, we're going to go to that Isaiah scripture, where he's quoting, what the context is, but first let's go back to that CBS uh, uh, report on Americans are less religious than ever. This is from uh, last November, I believe. More now from John Blackstone. In North Hollywood, California, Alex McHale says she fulfills her spiritual needs at a yoga studio. Be in the state that you're in. Like many people aged 19 to 25, she no longer goes to church. 
most of my friends, uh, and when most, I mean like all except for my boyfriend, <laughs> don't go to church anymore. In fact, only 28% of her age group go to services weekly. But not necessarily saying, well, there's not something out there. Absolutely not. It's more of like, I hear so many people that are like, I believe there's a God. I just don't think there's a hell. Since the survey was first taken in 2007, there has also been a decline in the number of Americans who describe themselves as being affiliated with a religion, from 83% in 2007 to 77% in this survey. So what you have is a, a changing of direction from organized religion to individual spirituality. Mm-hmm. And while there are good things that can be gained from having an individually spiritual life, there's also a lot of mess that is confused inside of individual spirituality. Right. Because you're making all the decisions yourself as to what is, quote, spiritual or not. And that just ends up being so subjective that... Um, subject for a different day, but it really d- does bring, uh, bring, 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 bring a lot of trouble. So it's kind of interesting. That's where we're heading, toward individual spirituality away from things like a, a textbook like Scripture, like the Bible. And, you know, it's too bad because the Bible has so much to offer in, in our day and our world. So let's go to the source now of Jesus' words that you had just talked about because he said in, in Matthew, okay, Here's what the Isaiah prophecy said. Let's go back a few verses, though, in that exact Isaiah prophecy and set the context, because this really helps us understand what the plan of God is. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Now that's Isaiah talking back to God, and not talking back to God, but answering him, I should say. Uh, But... Jesus, by quoting this prophecy, is saying, this is about me. So, Jesus volunteers. God says, whom shall I send? Jesus says, here am I, send me. And obviously, he was called the Word, right? At the Son of God in heaven, before his name was Jesus. And so, Jesus volunteers for the job, and God gives him instructions. Now, listen carefully, because this is what God says to do. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And he said... Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. So, God's instructions to Jesus, prophetically stated in Isaiah and repeated by Jesus himself, God's instructions to Jesus clearly state that Jesus' purpose is to leave his listeners in an unconverted and sinful state. Yes. Why would God have commanded Jesus to do that if Jesus, if God sent Jesus to save the whole world? It doesn't make sense on the surface. On the surface, it doesn't make sense. It does make perfect sense, but we have to figure out how to put the pieces together. Some of our Christian friends now would explain this dilemma and say, well, these sinners are those who, are all, who already rejected Jesus and therefore it was impossible for them to comprehend his teaching. So what they say is, well, these people that are left out are the ones that wouldn't have gotten it anyway. So well, we don't agree with that. No, be- because when you look at the numbers, you're saying that, I don't know, 80, 90 percent. So God just allowed 80 or 90 percent of the, uh, of the world to never have an opportunity for salvation? 
It doesn't make sense, again, because we have to unfold the plan in terms of the character of the guy who wrote the plan. Absolutely. And the guy who wrote the plan, according to John, John says three words, God is love. That love is built upon justice. God is just. God is loving. God is wise. God is powerful. How do you get all of that to work together? So this is going to bring into question a whole new question into play because if it is so very selective and God says, make sure, Jonathan, make sure that they don't understand because that's what he said in Isaiah to Jesus. Jesus repeated it in Matthew. Mm -hmm. Then how do you explain this next scripture that talks about what God wants? Matthew 2, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Okay, in the sight of God, this is what's right and acceptable. Who desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, that's completely contrary to what he told Jesus to do. (laughs) Okay, finish reading. All right, for there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. So, in the first Timothy scripture, it says plainly, God wants all men to know his truth. That's right. The knowledge of the truth. And and what does knowledge actually mean? Is it just like, okay, yeah, I sort of remember that thing? Just hearing his name or something? Right. No, Rick. It, it means full discernment. That means total understanding of God's plan and his character. An example, and we're going going to go to the phones right after this, but an example that I like to think of in in, in relation to this is like when you go get a mortgage for your house, you've gotten a mortgage, and and there's a stack of paperwork like 16 miles high, Uh (laughs) and there's all of these disclosures, and they say, okay, this is this disclosure, this is sign here, sign here, and what you're signing is that you understand what's the disclosures are about. Yeah, what's behind this mortgage. That's what this full discernment is. It's full disclosure. It's 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 clear, unequivocal Concise. understanding, which is completely opposite of what we saw the instructions from God to Jesus in Isaiah and Jesus repeating in Matthew. Exactly. So that's a dilemma. Or is it? Let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for sharing God's Word. You're welcome. And I believe uh, in, uh, Jonathan is being the love doctor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he only shows up once a year, though, so you, you had your chance last week. Uh, well, that scripture, you know, that's one of his favorite ones, a ransom for all. Yes. I, I like that. I believe uh, Jonathan's philosophy on that. But anyway, uh, three things, three scriptures, quickly. Uh, the gospel message does not fail. Uh, I'll just quote, give you the scripture, Isaiah fifty five eleven. God's word will never fail. And uh, number two, God has a purpose during this uh, time. Uh, and the, we call it the gospel age. God has a uh, purpose, and I'll give you Acts fifteen fourteen thereabouts, and God's purpose. And number three, so sadly, so sadly. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.5, the people in general today have a form, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. 
Monday that will change. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, so so Ju- Julius is focusing on on God and God's character. God does not fail. God does have a purpose, mm-hmm. and and th- those things are true. But how do you harmonize these dramatically different statements from God and about God? What is it? How do we put it together? And and folks, there is a way to put it together. And the power of the gospel is incredible once you see this. So you have to stay with us for the second hour because the second hour is all about putting this together and making sense of a glorious glorious plan. But meanwhile, let's go back now to Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. And Julius, thanks again for the call and that insight. Uh, Luke 19, 8 through 10. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, again, you have Jesus treating someone who is very sinful with, with great respect and attention. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I've, salvation has come to his house because he has come to me. He has, has, has decided to change his ways. I can read, and of course I'm, I'm adding all of this, I can read and see his heart because Jesus could read the heart. And he's saying, he's a son of Abraham, and yes, he is open to sal- the salvation. I've come to save that which was lost. Now he's talking about those like Zacchaeus. But I think there's a bigger picture than that as well. Let's go to uh, Jonathan quickly, Genesis three twenty-two to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground for which he was taken. So he drove the man out. So what was lost was paradise. A perfect earth. A w- perfect Environment. What was lost was humankind living in a sinless environment. Forever. What was lost, right, was the opportunity for eternal life. Yeah. What was lost was God's creation in the image, creating man in the image of himself. What was lost was that, Free that, will. that high level of, of fellowship with God as human beings. So, Jesus came to save that which was lost, and yet it says that Jesus came to not convert the whole world. Well, how do you put the two together and come up with a gospel that actually makes sense? Folks, I'm telling you, in the second hour, we're going to put this together from a scriptural perspective so that it can be made plain. The plan of the gospel is not only not fading, it's getting stronger, it's getting faster, it's getting better, and it's creating such a momentum that it cannot be stopped. How is that possible in the world in which we live? Come back for the second hour. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, the power of the gospel is truly, truly working. But how do you figure it out? We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Tertullian once said, Hope 
is patience with the lamp lit. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have got, we were just talking during the break, a really important foundational subject on the table this morning that is very, very basic, but it's certainly not easy. That's correct. What's the question? Is the power of the gospel fading? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in the first hour, Jonathan, we established that, um, first of all, statistically, Christianity is beginning to wane, especially in this country. That's right. Being replaced by spirituality. In different forms. Right. And very personal spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. The, the, ne- the next point we're, we're making is that Jesus himself said... He was instructed by God in Isaiah and repeated in Matthew that, uh, look, you're not supposed to convert everybody. Even though Christianity has always looked at the gospel as, well, we've got to convert the world. So you have that, and then we read some scriptures where it says, it, this is what God wants. God wants every man to know the truth. That's right, everyone. Full discernment. And yet Jesus taught in parables so every man wouldn't know the truth. So what do you do with all that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can have some fun with it, because there is a glorious plan that puts all of this together. So, And we sort of toyed with the idea, okay, what's the true power of the gospel? Well, you know, Is the gospel fading? And the answer is no, it's not. Even though it looks like the power of the gospel is diminished greatly over time. The true power of the true gospel has not faded at all. We're going to get into what it is and why it is in this hour. And we have a new uh, local number for today only. Uh, If you have any thoughts on the subject, 860-442-9956. And don't forget, you can message us on your app and we'll be glad to read that over the air. And if you don't want the message read over there, you can still message us just to say, don't read this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what's the true power of the gospel? Let's get to it. Let's take a look at scriptures now that are going to put both completely seemingly contrary ideas together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Okay, so nothing new here. This is talking about the walk of the Christian. This is talking about us being reconciled to Christ. We all, all Christians, believe that. Putting on a spiritual nature right. versus keeping that fleshly and nature. And following in the footsteps of Jesus. Yes. So that's talking about the world of true Christians, and we all say, yes, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. All right. Now, there's an additional step here. Because it says that we have been given reconciliation. And it says now that he gave us the ministry, the job of reconciliation for who? The world. So, how does that fit with Jesus not wanting the, everybody else to know? Hang on to that. Because what you see is hope. Yes. There's hope here. There's hope. The, the quote we started the hour with, hope is patience with the lamp lit. Mm-hmm. This is the lighting of the lamp. 
because it's saying there's hope because there's a ministry of reconciliation for the world. And in verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right, so let's look at God's power unfolding in these verses. Three, three points, Jonathan. To be in Christ is to be a new creation, a unique and different spiritual class. And that, that's a program all in itself. What does it mean to be this new creation, to really truly be Christ-like? But just let's focus that on the world of true Christianity. This new creation is given a specific ministry. One of reconciliation. And it says that the ministry is to the world, not to each other. Right. And that word reconciliation means put back in order, be balanced. Right, right. right. Okay. And the next point, Rick, is those of the new creation are ambassadors, representatives of God's will through Christ. So now how is it that we are reconciling the world? See, that's the question. If the world is going to be reconciled, and this scripture says it is. How does that happen? Let, let's hold that thought, because we've got the, the core of the thought. Now we've got to develop it, and we can't develop it by guessing. We can't develop it by, by assuming answers or by, by, by inference. We have to develop it by scriptural reasoning. Let's go back to the, um, the CBS report on uh, the uh, religion, Christianity sort of fading away in, in, in the United States and the rise of personal spirituality. Carol Backus is director of the Center for the Study of Religion at UCLA. There is something that beckons us and uh, is something that we respond to. And we respond to it through religious or spiritual practices. And I don't think that that will ever go away. While organized religion may be declining, spirituality is on the rise. The study shows six in ten adults say they regularly feel an inner sense of peace and well-being. And Charlie, that's up seven points from seven years ago. Okay, the idea of feeling peace and well-being. And again, don't mean to step on any toes, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Right. Because it depends on where you're getting it from. Exactly. And the source is everything. And it could be yourself is right. the source. Right. And it really can make a mess of things. Right. Right. Yeah, we're really good at that. <laughs> All right. So, so that's the, the trend, the national trend. And what we're saying is the spiritual trend, the real true spiritual trend of the gospel is very, 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 very different. All right. So the... Previous scripture we read was Jesus says, or, or, or the apostle says, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation for the world. This clear and unmistakable example of Christianity is further explained by Peter. So Paul says it. Now let's go to see what the apostle Peter says. First Peter 2, 9 and 12. But ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So it's saying you have lots of job descriptions. You are supposed to show the excellencies of God because God blessed you through Christ. You got to show that to everybody. Now, so there's a dramatic difference in the true followers of Christ. The question is, who are they showing and 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 how is it being received? How is it being received, the excellencies of God through Christ? Verse 12. Having your behavior seemingly among the Gentiles, that wherein they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. All right. 
so here it's the, the the message is for the rest of the world because it has your have your behaviors seemly among the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles are the everybody else. Yep. Be a good example here and now, right. as an as a representative of Christ. And it says, even if they are speaking evilly against you now, here and now, they by your good works, your good works here and now, will be able to glorify God when. In the day of visitation. Not now. No. So this scripture is opening up the beginning of the understanding that the world's chance, the world's opportunity is it's, not it's right not now. It's not lost, but it's not lost. Right, right. It's not lost, right. but it's not now. Right. Okay, that's good. So the message is for the rest of the world, but not applied now. For their benefit now. It's for their input now. But it's not going to be to their actual benefit necessarily right now. So God's instruction for Jesus to leave the masses in the dark. Remember, he gave that very clear instruction. Speaking in parables. Right? In Isaiah chapter 6. So they six, don't understand. Right? That instruction is a temporary condition. See, the Apostle Peter tells us that they, those who were left in the dark... We'll glorify God later in the day right. of visitation. Who would have treated you evilly now have an opportunity later. Yes. See, this is, this is magnificent. This is enormous when you realize the power of the gospel. So it's saying that you need to plant the seeds. You need to plant the seeds. You don't expect the fruit to come up now. You know, sometimes some kinds of seeds when you plant lay dormant. Mm, yes. And some lay dormant for a long, long time. Right. It's like those cicadas that come out every seven years or something yeah. like that. They're, they're just, it's they're not crazy. around. And then all of a sudden, you know, you can't, you can't hear yourself and think. They devastate crops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so the true power of the gospel is to draw out followers of Jesus now who will serve, teach, and bless the rest of the world later is this provable okay that sounds great it sounds like okay everybody can live happily ever after but is this provable through other verses or do we just say we've got second corinthians 5 and first peter 2 and that's it and we're sticking with it okay <laughs> let's look a little further john 5 28 and 29 do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did good the good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So it does talk about two different resurrections. Mm -hmm. These are the words of Jesus. And he's saying that this resurrection of judgment, it's in the King James Version, it says a resurrection of damnation. Poor translation. It's a very, very, very poor uh, translation. As a matter of fact, in the, in the next two or three verses, Jesus uses the same word judgment again. He says, my judgment is sound. Yes. So there's a resurrection of judgment. It's a resurrection of trial, of, of, of being Put on trial. That, that, that's what it's talking about. So Jesus does save the world. Because remember, you had this, this paradox of Jesus comes to save the world, but he doesn't want everybody to listen to him. <laughs> How do you do that? He, and the answer is because he saves it in two stages. The true Christian first. And Resurrection the, of life. Right. And the rest of the world second. Resurrection of judgment. All right. Again, let's go further in Scripture. And folks, if you have a thought, uh, for today it's a different phone number. For today it's 860-442-9956. 860-442-9956. We're on 7 to 9 Eastern, 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Jonathan, other verses that help to put this in perspective. First John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, 
and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So you get a sense that there's more than one little scripture, there's more than one little phrase that is telling us this is a two-pronged attack. Salvation really does work, but it works in stages. And the salvation of, of the gospel is primarily for those who are following after Jesus right here, right now. But then there's more later. There's a huge accountability, Rick, for those followers of Jesus right now. Yes, 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 yes. True followers of Jesus are absolutely accountable for everything that they do right here, right now. So, so the instruction of God to follow, uh, of, of God, I'm sorry, uh, allows for the passing of a lot of time. And see, God is eternal. Time doesn't mean the same thing to him as it does to us. You know, we're on for two hours, and for some people, it's like, well, they finish already? <laughs> but for God, the passing of a thousand years or two thousand years is really nothing. So the instructions of God allow for the passing of a lot of time and the developing of sin to its fullest potential. Ooh, wait. Ooh, that, that just sounds terrible. But Sin's fullest potential? Who wants right, that? God does. God wants sin to develop to its fullest potential so that he can crush it forever. See, and that's the point of God's plan. Second Peter 3, 7 through 9. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape you, your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all all to come to repentance. So there you have and that's why you know that the fire in that scripture is is symbolic. symbolic. It's not literal. Because God wants all to come to repentance. And it says it's going to take time. It's all part of a plan. A big plan that takes time. And this big plan implements justice, doles out mercy, develops those who need will be needed to teach the rest of the world about who God really is. This plan puts all of those things in place. It's a magnificent plan. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning is the power of the gospel fading. Coming up, so... If the power of the gospel is not fading, is it getting stronger? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. When the world You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Is the Power of the Gospel Fading? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling today's number, 860-442-9956. Again, that's 860-442-9956. Or you can message us on your app. Okay, Jonathan, we've gone through several scriptures that help us to understand that the message of the gospel is broader than trying to convert the whole world now. Jesus didn't tell us to do that. But what we're, we're seeing is the gospel works in two stages. The, fir- the true followers of Jesus first, the rest of the world later, but everybody is included. Hebrews 2.9 also tells us that. But we do see him who was made a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
taste death for everyone. Even the ones who didn't understand, even the one who Satan took the word from, remember, in the first hour? Yes. All right. So you got that sense that there is hope. It doesn't matter who you are. So now let, let's do some contrast with that. Let's go to another soundbite. This is from The Guardian uh, from uh, September of actually 2014, a couple years old. Uh, it's talking about the godless church and atheists taking the U.S. by storm. Now this is serious. The godless church. There is a church developing uh, it's, I don't remember the exact name, but the Church of Atheism. So listen to the message. The central idea we need to spread is that we have only one life, which means that that life has to be lived to the fullest. There is no second chance, no opportunity to have a do-over. There is no afterlife in which wrongs are righted and cosmic justice meted out to the evildoers. The Sunday Assembly was started by two British comedians, Sanderson Jones and Pippa Evans. They held the first event in London in January 2013. After that, Jones and Evans found that people were getting in touch, asking if they could set up their own Sunday Assembly. What is it like being a now quite prominent atheist and organising something like this? Do you get any pushback from people who are religious that you know? Um, I do have several close friends who are religious. One of my best friends from high school, she is a pastor. I actually turned to my pastor friend to ask her, how do we start a church? And she gave me reams of advice, lots of great ideas. So you, your pastor friend gave you advice on how yes. to start a godless church. Exactly, yes. <laughs> 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 okay. I, I laugh sarcastically and then I laugh for real because it's kind of interesting. Because, and, and Jonathan, take this the right way, but, but you know, Part of their message is, look, you've got to make this life count. You've got to really be good in this life. And I agree with that. But it's for a very, very, very different reason. Because we see life as much bigger than this one fleeting moment in all of eternity. Because we see God as much bigger than, than this one fleeting moment in all of eternity. But this is real, real... This is, this is what's truly happening. The godless church is the, the Sunday assembly is what they call it. And they, and they, they buy churches and they, and they have their meeting in actual church buildings. Okay. And they do a lot of things that people who do, do at church just without God. And they're, they feel good when they leave. Kind of sounds like the prosperity gospel, but kind without of. God. So they have a need to do yes, something. Yes, and, like and that. that really, they have a need to look up to something to, to be encouraged. And that's okay. I'm, 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 all right, you know, let let it be. You know, we we've touched on several scriptures that really help to enhance the idea of the gospel having its mission being unfolded in two different stages. Mm-hmm. And they were several small scriptures with small context. It's like it's like playing notes on the piano, like staccato, ding ding ding. This this one, this one, this one, this one. Yep. Now let's go to a scriptural symphony. Oh, where it just delves into this idea that there are two parts to salvation and explains it again and again and again in several different ways. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5 verses, we're going to go actually uh, several verses, we're going to do 12 to 14 right here. Romans 5, 12 to 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is, is warming up. He's setting the context for his reasoning. He's saying Adam was entirely responsible for inherited human sin. Right. And we all understand that. Yep. All of Christianity agrees on that. 
death reigned even before the law came to Moses. Sure. Therefore, the penalty was clearly upon all humanity. Mm -hmm. So even without the law, which labeled what sin was, you still had the consequences of sin happening. Exactly. All right. So Adam is responsible for bringing all of humanity under the rule of sin and death. Nobody escapes that, right? No. Okay. All right. So so that's where we're we're starting. Now let's go to Romans, same chapter, chapter 5. This is the symphony, verses 15 through 17. And and Jonathan, as you go through these verses, I'm going to interrupt you a lot. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. Okay. Let's pause right there. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. The many must mean all of humanity. That's right, the all. Because that's what Paul just finished saying. So he's not changing his, his, his focus here. He's building on what he just said. So when it says, because of the transgression of the one, the many died, the many must be all of humanity according to verse 14. Go ahead. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to the many. And again, it's he didn't change his subject matter. He's not just talking about Christians here, is he? No. He's talking about all of the world being subject to sin and death through Adam. Nothing has changed in his in his reasoning thus far. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Okay, all right. So let, let's, let's pause. There's a lot in those verses. So the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So Adam brought sin. Right. And he brought sin and it was upon himself and Eve. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that's all that was involved at that moment until they had children and right. children's children and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But he's saying now the free gift is different because the free gift comes long after, long, long time after that transgression was in place. And the free gift comes upon many, okay, the all, right, resulting in justification. Because, now, now justification for who? It has to be everybody. Because nothing has changed in the subject matter. Right. So you see, the symphony of Scripture is telling us that there is a logical, sequential order in which God allows for sin to come into play, labels sin through the law, allows it to continue, gives the gift to give everybody who had the experience of sin the same experience of justification. There is a logical sequence. Again... Who did death reign over? Everyone. Everyone. Okay, let's let's continue. I cut you off in the middle of verse 17. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, see, here he changes the subject. Above, so he says much more, those who receive the abundance of grace. Now, who is he talking about? This, this is a qualifier. It's those that are following Jesus. Right. So now he's been talking about everybody who's ever lived under the, under the heading of being born in sin and being subject to death in Adam. And now he's saying, but much more, those who receive the abundance of grace will reign. In, when you reign, 
you rule over. Right. Okay. okay. You rule over. So this is a qualifier, and it's showing these individuals, the followers of Jesus. The called out ones. Right. Showing them reigning, exercising authority that they will be given. And this is how we can begin to understand the two parts of the plan of salvation, how you've got the beginning part that focuses on those right here, right now. Mm. Reminds me of the pounds and talents, the mm-hmm. parables, that if you're faithful, you're given rule over cities right, and right. based on but, your... But none of the apostles got that then, did they? No, not then. But it was a picture. Right. Exactly. And what the point is when it says in, in, the, in the Second Peter scripture, you know, you're a royal, royal priesthood. You're serving. You are, you are doling out the spirituality of God to whom? The to rest others. of the world. Because that's what the Peter scripture said. So you can see that now in Romans chapter 5, he's focusing on the called out ones. Reigning later in that day of judgment over the rest of the world. Now let's go to Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there, ju- there resulted justification of life to all men. So this one is a whole lot easier. It is. Because in the first section in Romans five fifteen through 17, it was using the many. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, some, some can argue, well, you know, that the many doesn't mean everybody. It means many, but not all. And that's not what it said. But? But, you know, the argument's there. Okay. The argument's gone here. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and there's a contrast. You've got to realize the contrast from the previous verses talking about the called out ones saying, so Paul is saying, okay, I've talked about everybody being under sin. I've talked about the called out church. And says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to restate some of this in a little bit of a different way because I want you to get it. So this point has no qualifier. We're, ta- we're back to the all humanity thing. Right, because okay. through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all. All I'm breaking Watch my microphone. Mic. <laughs> Calm down, Rick. <laughs> but you are Italian. You do speak <laughs> yes. with your hands. <laughs> yeah, you noticed that, huh? Even so, through the one act of righteousness... There's justification of life to all men. The same ones who get condemned are the same ones who get justification. Yes. Jonathan, that's everybody. That's, that's beautiful. It is. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And so, so uh, I forgot. Where, where are we? Verse 19. Verse 19. I knew that. Go ahead. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, which we know that's the all, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Right. So, again. Again, he says it again and again and again. Folks, if you're a Christian and you've not seen this before, what are you waiting for? Look at what the scripture is saying. Absorb it. This is about all of humanity and it is a continuation of thought. The apostle is saying it again and again and again. Everybody will be subject to justification just like everybody is now subject to death. That is Powerful, powerful stuff. Verse 20. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now the apostle, he started out talking about, you know, sin entering before the law. Mm-hmm. And said, "Look, didn't matter whether the law was there or not. Exactly. Sin reigned. It did. And now he says, but when the law came in, okay, so that transgression, so that transgression would increase. It's like, wait a minute, what? 
You, you, you brought the law, so transgression would get worse. But the understanding of it. Right. So that transgression, so that sin would be clear. Yes. Would be undeniable. You, you can't argue with it. You can't, you can't re, reframe it. You can't spin it. Sin is sin. The law told us all of that. And he's saying that it's all going to be replaced. God, a grace replaces sin based on justice on a wholesale scale. Now that's good news. It is. Because when you have love that's based on justice, that, that the, the, the apostle is telling us is going to come into play, everything else becomes subjective to, okay, we're in a temporary spot, in a temporary jam, in a temporary situation. That's powerful. It is. It is. And what it's telling us is that the, the plan of God has two different parts. It has the calling out of those who truly follow Jesus now to develop them for the purpose of giving them, having them become faithful so that in the resurrection, they will get a resurrection of life, have been proven faithful. Heavenly. To be able to help walk through the rest, the rest of the world through the day of judgment. Earthly. Right. Reigning. That's what this is talking Raining, about. yes. Okay. L- now, let's go back to the Guardian. Uh, remember the godless churches mm-hmm. where they say religion has failed? Uh, just, this is kind of an interesting contrast. Let's listen. How did you become an atheist, or were you raised an atheist? Religion does a lot of things well. What they do not so well is inculcate hate, intolerance, and all sorts of things that are anti-human. So this brings the best and leaves the worst out. What is your background then? Were you raised with a sort of religious aspect or anything like that? Um, I was raised like by militant atheists, and, and really? I feel like there's like a lot of people suffering and screaming, and who are um, their lives basically suck because religion is keeping them down. You know, and that could be true in the, in the lives of a lot of people. But folks, I tell you here and now that when we look at the gospel for what it really is, when we look at the scriptures, Jonathan, there's no hate. Nope. There is no bringing people down here. No, there isn't. There's giving them hope beyond hope beyond hope beyond hope. Much bigger than any atheist could ever give anyone. Because the best an atheist can do is you've got a few years left to use them. The best that a Christian can do, according to Scripture, is develop your life as best as you can now, but wait for eternity, when you can live in a world full of righteousness and peace run by God through Jesus. So, I don't know about you, but I want to take the eternity of goodness rather than trying really hard in a really bad world. Amen. Okay? That, to me, is, is, the, uh, is the comparison. Very quickly, Jonathan, for those who are called, their whole future depends on their present, and the world waits for them. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we who are following after Christ now have a special set of responsibilities. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Is the Power of the Gospel Fading? Coming up, so how do we maximize the power of the gospel? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Is the Power of the Gospel Fading? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling today's number, 860-442-9956. Again, that's 860-442-9956. Or you can message us on your app. And if you have a smartphone and you haven't gotten your free app, why not? Go to your app store and type in Christian Questions Radio, and you can listen live, and you can interact with us right there from your phone. Yeah, it's a really, really great, great tool, and, and, and tens of thousands of people have downloaded that app and hopefully use it on a regular basis. All right, so, so Jonathan, in the last segment, it was really, to me, it is a symphony. I don't think we did it justice, but we try hard. <laughs> you know, the, the symphony of the plan and power of God is for all of the world of mankind. It's not for just you and I because we believe in Jesus and we try hard to follow him. And, and it follows through with his attributes of justice, right. wisdom, power, and love. Yes. They're all in harmony with this plan. And so when we see that God gave Jesus instruction, don't convert them, it was for a very specific purpose. Yes, it was. To call out the faithful followers of Christ first so that they could be crystallized in character in this time, in this age, so that when the resurrection comes, they could be part of the ministry of reconciliation that Peter spoke about. Yes, helping the world. And it says the ministry is for the rest of the world. we're, We're not making it up. We're following scriptural principle. So that's where the power of the gospel is. Wow. So when we ask, is the power of the gospel fading, you say, heck no. It is growing stronger. And it's right on time. And, and that's exactly the point. God's time limits and time uh, perceptions are very different than ours. God's plan is exactly right on time. So how do we maximize the power of the gospel? Because you know what? It is personal. It is about us individually. And that's our first point. Realize that it's personal. The, God, the gospel's power now in this age is truly focused on individuals who are truly following Christ. Not denominations. That's right. That's right. Not great big congregations. It's focused on individuals. Roman, and God's word. Yes. And, and, and that's what you're told to believe, right. but what the Bible teaches. Go back to original scripture. Romans eight fourteen through 25. We're going to break it up into pieces. For as many as by God's spirit are being led, the same are God's sons. For ye have not received a spirit of servitude, leading back into fear, but you have received a spirit of sonship, whereby we are exclaiming, Abba, O Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness together with our spirit that we are children of God, and, if children, heirs also, heirs indeed of God, but co-heirs with Christ, if at least we are suffering together, in order that we may also be glorified together for i reckon that unworthy are the sufferings of the present season to be compared with the glory about to be revealed toward us so because it's personal and because it's for the few who truly follow after christ these these words in romans chapter 8 are very very significant remember romans 8 obviously duh, comes a few chapters after romans 5 <laughs> Yes. <laughs> which we spent last segment on. So the apostle in Romans 5 was saying, look, you're going to have a big job to do with the reconciliation of the world. And so now when Romans 8 comes around, he's saying, let me focus you on developing yourselves in Christ and the work and the suffering that you have to be willing to go through. 
But that's not compared to the glory right. that is to be revealed. Right. And he, he expressed the glory a few chapters earlier. And you think about all he suffered and went through right. to proclaim Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, he really did. The apostles what suffered. What an example. And, and so it's, it's personal. It's about making sure you go through, go down the path you're supposed to go down. That's the first point. Second point, realize that the personal focus of the gospel's power now is for the purpose of blessing, teaching, guiding, and directing the rest of the world later in the next age. So all of the development, all of the character crystallization, all of the suffering, all of the trial, that's good. You have to work through it. You have to become Christ-like so that you will be capable. We'll be able to be sympathetic sympathetic right. towards those in the world that went through the same types of experiences that we did. And we have to prove faithful so that we can be trustworthy Ooh. in the hands of God. Unlike Satan, right. which was... Right, exactly, the opposite. Yeah. So that's in Romans 8 now. We're going to go through verses 19 through 22. For the eager outlook of creation ardently awaiteth the revealing of the sons of God. See, the everybody else is waiting for you. Get to work. For unto... Vanity hath creation been made subject, not by choice, but by reason of him that made it subject in hope. That creation itself also shall be freed from the bondage of the decay into the freedom of the glory of the sons of God. We know that all creation is sighing together and travailing in birth throws together until the present. So now the apostle brings back the world into the picture and he says, you know, they're really waiting for you to be faithful. And they're hurting. Right. But Jonathan, there's a beautiful thing here. And and on the surface, it doesn't sound like it can be beautiful, like God giving Jesus instruction, don't tell everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. This sounds like the same thing. He says, because it says God allowed his human creation to be subject unto vanity. He did that on purpose. And it wasn't their choice to be subject to vanity. He allowed it to happen on purpose so they could learn to see beyond it later. So he's saying he allows sin and sin to develop to its fullest potential so that sin can be revealed for the ugly, disastrous, monstrous uh, division that it causes away from God. Mm. So our job is to be working through these things so that we can be those teachers and guides later. That's what we're called for. Again, we can see how God's plan works. He allows sin and death so that life and hope can be embraced. Our third point from Romans chapter 8 is realize that our role here and now can easily be overlooked or ridiculed because those around us uh, uh, see this to be so far-fetched. And not only those in the world, but Rick, even other Christians yeah, and you know, that may say, what are you talking about? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I've, I've had conversations, uh, literal phone conversations with several individual listeners who have gone through exactly this, who begin to get what the scriptures are, are, are teaching and like, I'm telling everybody because this is amazing. And then they go and tell people and they get ridiculed and beat down and they come back and say, how come they don't listen? It's good news. (laughs) (laughs) But again, this is described for us, Romans 8, 23 to 25. And not only so, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we even ourselves within our own selves do sigh, sonship ardently awaiting, the redeeming of our body, for by our hope have we been saved, but hope beheld is not hope, for what one beholdeth, 
why doth he hope for? That sounds a little confusing. It is. <laughs> if, however, what we do not behold we hope for, with endurance... We are ardently awaiting it. So what it's saying is, look, the hope that you have is something that's not physical and tangible. It's not something you can see. It's not like people have a goal. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save my money, and I want to buy that car. This is a hope of, of life with Christ in heaven. Do you know what that looks like? No. Do you know what that feels like? No. Do you know what that sounds like? No. Of course we don't. All we know is it's something that's, that's there and it's promised. Right. So it's something that we look forward to with this anticipation and it's different than earthly hopes. That's what it's saying. It's higher. It's better. It's stronger. And again, it is for the sake of the rest of the world as well as giving us an incredible blessing that, you know, face the fact, Jonathan, uh, you know, a true Christian is given this opportunity and blessing. Tell me how much you deserve it. <laughs> Not. (laughs) Right. Neither do I. None of us do. That's the grace of God. We develop our life of sacrifice now uh, in the world. The world waits for us to finish this this development of this life of sacrifice. Uh, Let's go to a different kind of soundbite. We've been, you know, reporting on the sort of the downfall of Christianity and and where the world is going. This soundbite is from Is the Bible Relevant? Uh, from Explore God, and this just it, it sort of encourages us to look deeper into Scripture. I believe God's still telling the story. I don't think the Bible is just a dead book. I think it's alive. I think it's communicating to us today and giving us vision and, and, a, and, a, and a conviction of how God's love should constantly be ruminating within this world and how we're supposed to be those who are spreading it and how it's supposed to be good news. And unfortunately, a lot of people in our world just see it as bad news and see the Bible as a book of to-dos and a book of uh, conflicting information versus seeing it as this unfolding story, this pursuit of God constantly pursuing humankind, constantly trying to love us into relationship, not command us into it, but accept us and love us into, into relationship, into the way we were designed as human beings to see the world. And, you know, I, I listen to that, and I, and I think we just want to see that in, the, in a bigger sense, and we realize, I mean, God loves the human creation. We are his children. You know how much you love your children, and, and how we will do anything for the betterment of our children. And a really good parent will allow a child to go through difficult times, Oh, yes, to learn. So that they can be better and stronger for it. Yes. God allows his human race to go through horrible times. And, you, and when people look at this, they say, how can God be in this? How could God possibly be here? But he is because there is an end result later that they just don't anticipate. So here's a great summary of the power of the gospel in our personal Christian lives. I love these verses, Jonathan. Romans eight thirty-one to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us... Who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? So we have the greatest power in the universe working with us and through us. Let's continue verses 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly a conqueror through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing which will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's so much in these verses because, again, this is focusing on it's personal. It's personal if you are a called out one following in the footsteps of Jesus, having been given the power and influence of God to work in your lives. It's personal because your mission is not just about you. Your mission is to help your own life to come into harmony with what a follower of Jesus looks like. Also, in Romans, one of my favorite scriptures, all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. Yeah, that was like one of the two verses that I skipped. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) But it's true. All things in our lives work together for our good. You know, you could have the uh, life that mirrors in, in a lot of ways. You know, you go to work every day, you eat, you sleep, you do the things that regular people do. And, and sometimes people look at you and say, well, you know, what's the difference between your life and mine? Our life is for the purpose of developing us to be Christ-like. So I am supposed to be learning different things than you from the exact same experience. I'm supposed to be reacting differently than you from the exact same experience. Why? Because my life is about being like Christ. And why is that to my atheist friend who says, what's the difference? It's so that I, if I can be faithful, can have a part in blessing you, even though you don't believe in God. Even though you think God is a figment of my imagination, I'm sure you're not going to argue with the day of judgment and being raised from the dead to be given an opportunity at a new lease on life under the power of God through Christ. Nobody is going to want to argue with that because it is merciful, it is kind, it is just. The power of the gospel is growing because God's plan is coming closer and closer and closer to its fruition. We will see this age end, and it looks bad, and it looks dark, but it's all part of the plan because there is a happily ever after. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another subject, but boy, you got to cogitate on this one. Is the power of the gospel fading? Not on your life. Till next week. Think about it.